excited. If you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 2 is where we are going to be. Go ahead and turn there. I have some water tonight because I have a feeling I'm going to yell. What is new? Um, If it's your very first time this evening, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, My name is Tim Shepard. I'm the youth pastor here. We are in a series on Advent. Everyone say Advent. Advent, a word derived from the Latin word Adventus or Adventus, which means coming, coming. There's an anticipation that the people of God have in this season. If you were a first century Jew, you're you're anticipating the coming of the Messiah, the, the coming of the Christ, the one who is going to fulfill the promise to Abraham. If you're a follower of Christ right now, in, uh, well, I was gonna say October, it's December, December 2022. It means you are anticipating the coming of the return of Christ. And there's these four themes that kind of revolve around this season, hope, peace, joy, and love. And tonight, we're going to talk about joy. Everyone say joy. joy. Look at your neighbor and say joy. I really, really like talking about joy. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read the same text that I read last week, but we're going to look at it just a little bit different tonight. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them up to Luke 2. If you don't, I want you to look at the screen here. We're going to read this text, and then we're going to pray. Luke 2, starting in verse 8. Shh, 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 shh. The word of the Lord, it says this, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. Everyone say good news. Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to which all God's people said. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We love you. And we welcome your presence here with us tonight. I cannot help but just be overwhelmed with joy as we sang those words, our God reigns. God, you reign. I thank you that you give us the ability and the opportunity to stare into the face of everything that we are facing, every difficulty, every circumstance, every ounce of suffering, every relationship, everything that's going on in our world, everything that's going on in our city, in our country, and we can say those words with such confidence, our God reigns. And if we can't say them with confidence, we can say them with faith, our God reigns. And so Lord, I pray that you would reign here this evening in all that we say as we open up your word and as We talk about your joy, that you would reign here this evening. I pray that you would break chains. Lord, I pray that you would set captives free tonight. 
I pray that you would awake the spiritually sleeping tonight. Would you do it yet again? Would you reveal yourself to us for those who are walking so closely with you, who are filled with great joy this evening, and for those who are in despair, who are hurting, who are hopeless, would you give them joy this evening? We need you, God. I need you. So I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer, that you would hallow your name among us here this evening. In your precious and holy name, amen. Did you know, I love that I'm preaching with a red solo cup up here. (laughs) Did you know that God has a great amount of concern for your joy? I want you to think about this for a second. The God of the universe, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. As scripture says, the great I am, Elohim, El Shaddai, Jehovah Jireh, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he has a great concern and he finds your joy a matter of great urgency. He cares for your joy. Have you ever been near somebody who cares about other people's joy a lot? My wife is this way. She always is thinking about how to make somebody's day and it annoys the tar out of me. (laughs) Like, And it's so, especially near the holidays, near the holidays, it's like we're already spending so much time with family and you're already pouring yourself out and you already have these like plans to do things for people. And yet my wife is always trying to like look around every corner and trying to bless somebody, trying to give something to somebody. Every time we go through like a purge of all my clothes at home, probably like two, three times a year. I'll start like going through my closet and collecting all the things that I haven't worn in like six plus months. And I'll start piling them up and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna like take these to Plato's closet or something and try to get some money, right? Which like never happens. But I'll pile up my clothes and the first thing my wife will do will be like, oh, we should ask my brother Johnny if he wants any of these. Because he has no money for clothes. He's broke, he just got married. She's always looking to bless people. She'll, she'll meet a, a single mom or a young lady who's pregnant and whose car's broken down and she's like, we should pay for it. I'm like, babe, we're broke, we're married. <laughs> but she loves to bless people and it's like, it is truthfully like amazing and like I, I admire it and yet it truly does kind of frustrate me all the time. I'm like, you are always thinking about somebody else and yet when I watch my wife be so concerned with another's joy, makes me think about how much more God is concerned with my joy. Let me show you in the Bible, in the New Testament, how much God is concerned with your joy. In fact, joy was something that Jesus had a lot to say, especially in the final night that he was alive. Can we go to John 15, verse 11? Jesus is looking at his followers and he says, these things I have spoken to you that what? My joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Go over just one chapter, John 16, 20. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but, everyone say but. I love buts in the Bible. Your sorrow will turn into joy. Four verses later, John 16, 24. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. 
ask and you will receive that your what? Your joy may be full. Go one chapter over. I told you I was gonna yell. John 17, 13. But now I am coming to you. These things I speak in the world that they may, that they may have my what? Joy fulfilled in themselves. How amazing is it that God cares about your joy and about my joy? Think about this. He created you for joy. He created you to experience joy. He created you to desire joy. Sometimes we get all weird in church, right? Like, church is this place with all these rules and stipulations and it's like the, it's the, the kill zone for fun. And then we read the scriptures like, wait a minute. Jesus is actually all about our joy. But he wants real joy. He doesn't want any false concept of joy. So my goal tonight, my primary objective in this sermon is to try to address what is Christian joy? What does it mean for us to have joy? Why would an angel appear before the shepherds and he says, behold, I bring you good news, great joy. What is it about you? Why would Jesus look at his followers and say like, I've told you all of these things. Like, like we have everything in the scriptures so that my joy would be in you and that your joy would be full. What is this joy? Now I searched high and low for all the definitions that I could find of joy. And like the last week, as I was studying out this text, I'm going, okay, Lord, what, what, is, what is a great definition for joy? And oftentimes we'll talk in church about the difference between happiness and joy. But I was like, I, I, I wanna try to take it a step deeper than that. And so I started looking through all these commentaries and I was going into, into the, the New Testament Greek for what, what does this word look like all over in the New Testament? This word kara, like what, what is this word? And I, I couldn't like find this definitive definition. And then I came across this theological dictionary where this theologian named joy like this, can we put this definition on the screen, that joy, Christian joy is a delight that runs deeper than pain or pleasure. Ooh, I like this one. It is a delight that runs deeper than pain or pleasure. We're gonna get into that here in a second, but this is a logical question for us to ask if this is our definition for joy, if joy is a delight that runs deeper than suffering, if it's a joy that runs deeper than disease, if it's a joy that runs deeper than brokenness, if it's, a, if it's something that runs deeper than depression, it runs deeper than anxiety, it runs deeper than a lot of money, it runs deeper than sex, it runs deeper than any form of good thing that we would try to delight in in this world. And the question that I have is this is the definition for joy, that it's a delight that runs deeper than pain or pleasure. My question is, what do I have to delight in in order for joy to run deeper than pain or pleasure? And I think the scriptures gives us this answer, but I'm gonna approach this a little bit different tonight. Instead of talking to you and defining to you what joy is by by seeing what joy is in the scriptures, I wanna approach it by talking about what joy is not. 
We're gonna start there. Okay, so three things that I, as I was studying, I was like, okay, clearly these are the things that joy is not. Number one, joy is not an act of willpower. Joy is not an act of willpower. It's not something that you can just choose to do. And I know some might argue with this, but bear with me for a second. Have you ever had a moment where somebody gave you a gift for something that you didn't want? And you have to like fabricate that response. Oh, look at an example. Five years ago, this is a humble pill for me, but the story gets redeemed. I was sitting in the offices right up there and it was around February, around Valentine's Day. You know when you're supposed to get like gifts for like the person that you have care for? And I'm sitting up there and I'm talking with Mary Windebank. Now, some of you know who Mary Windebank was. She used to be on staff here at New Life Church. Absolutely awesome. They're in town right now, but they're missionaries in the Dominican Republic right now. Her and her husband, Kyle, their baby Eden. It's so cute. Anyway, I'm talking with Mary and you know what I'm doing? As I'm saying, I'm saying, you know what shoe that I absolutely can't stand that guys will wear? She was like, what? I was like, Chelsea boots. I think they look so feminine to me. I'm wearing Chelsea boots this evening, so I'm telling you, the story gets ridiculous. I'm like, she's like, no, she's like, no, 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 Chelsea boots, like, look good. I'm like, no, Mary, no. And I'm, so, I'm like, I'm like, I'm trying to be like kind and like naming the guys that like I would say like who like wear Chelsea boots, and I'm like, it looks feminine. Like it looks totally feminine. She goes, Tim, I promise you, like Chelsea boots look good on a guy. I was like, you'll never see me buy those. She's like, okay. Two days later is Valentine's Day. My wife walks into the room on Valentine's Day with this box that looks like a box of shoes. She's like, I got you a Valentine's Day gift. I was like, oh, thank you, sweetheart. I take the gift, I open them up, and I pull out these suede, good fellow Chelsea boots. And I look at my wife and I go, babe, you're so generous. That was gross. I just took my shoe off in a sermon. Like, like, like I was, she's, I'm, I'm like, you're so, you're so sweet. She's like, I was walking by them in Target because she goes to Target seven times a week. And she was like, I looked at these shoes and I was like, Tim would look really good in these shoes after I'm just saying that men who wear Chelsea boots look feminine. And I'm like, thanks, babe. And I take the Chelsea boots, and that coming Sunday, I put them on, and I walked into church, and Mary Windebank looks at me, and she looks at my feet, and she just starts laughing. Now, I'm glad to say here five years later that I was wrong. I do not think that men look that feminine in Chelsea boots. And if you do, deal with it, okay? Keep that to yourself, right? Have you ever had a moment where somebody gets you a gift and it's not something that you wanted and you have to fabricate joy? Yeah, right? Like we, this is not this, this is the point that I'm trying to make. You can't just force yourself to enjoy something. Your mom turns on like that Hallmark channel and starts watching those romantic comedies during Christmas. You can't enjoy, force yourself to enjoy that. I turn on Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, extended edition. I can't, yeah. I can't force my wife to enjoy that. 
You see, joy is something that's like spontaneous, is it not? It's something that like, whether you know it or not, know it's coming or not, or something that happens to you by surprise that you enjoy, it's something that comes as a response that some, something happened to us. But you know what's really sad? Is a lot of believers that I know treat joy in Christ, Christian joy, as if it's something they gotta fabricate day to day. As if God's, God's wanting his followers, it, like, like following him to be like this, like he's having to, to walk around like twisting our arm, saying just tell the world that you enjoy it even if you don't. And this is the way believers live their lives. Like, like just because the Bible says I'm supposed to like enjoy this, I'm gonna say like I enjoy it, but I don't. And we, 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 we start to try to like put this mask on to the world that like we enjoy something that, that, that we don't. And you know what the world is pretty good at? Calling our bluff. They can look at it and be like, you don't enjoy what you're doing? You don't enjoy that way of life? You look miserable trying to keep your tongue under wraps. You look miserable trying to honor your father and your mother. You look miserable trying to be as honest as you can living with integrity. You look miserable trying to sexually abstain in your relationship and wait till you're married. You look miserable. And most of the time we do look miserable because we've seen and we've received joy to be this idea of like something we just need to accept whether we like it or not. That's not Christian joy. Christian joy is not you needing to try to willpower your way into loving or liking or cherishing something. No, no, no. Christian joy for the believers, we're gonna see later tonight, is God shows you something that you cannot unsee, that you can't go back to the way things were. God shows you something that changes everything about your life. It's the kind of joy that maybe is not something you have yourself, but is given to you. Christian joy is not an act of willpower. Second thing is Christian joy is not fragile or delicate. It's not fragile or delicate. To go back to that definition that we're talking about, and runs deeper than pain and pleasure, which means that Christian joy isn't contingent upon pain or pleasure. Are you with me? Christian joy isn't something that's gonna be rooted in your circumstances. This is where that kind of difference between joy and happiness comes in, right? Where if I were to walk in and say, hey, I have $100 for you right now, you'd be like, I'll go buy some Chelsea boots, right? Like, like if I, you'd be like, oh yeah, like that's, that's awesome. And then I'd be like, just kidding. And all of a sudden, that joy is taken away. And a Christian joy is, is not like that. And there's, there's kind of another way to describe this in that Christian joy is not just simply rooted in a single moment, in that it is not just something that is past, present, or future, but it's all of those things. Are you with me? Christian joy is, 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 it comes from the, I can look back and I can have joy in the past. You know why? Because I can know that as I look at the beginning of scripture, that what the Bible tells me is I was fearfully and wonderfully made by God and I was called good. I get to remember something and get to look back at something and I can find joy. I can look in my now and see all of the gifts 
that God has given me and the way that God has revealed himself to me here in now, in this moment, and I can take joy in that and I can look ahead to what is coming, to what the bottom line is in the Christian faith and I can take joy in that. See, sometimes we kind of take Christian joy as this like, oh, maybe that will happen. It's Christmas time. You ever have a moment when you were a kid and you asked your parents to get you a gift and it comes Christmas morning and you're hoping all those days leading up to Christmas that they got you that gift? A lot of people treat Christian joy that way. That's fragile and delicate. You know why? Because what happens if you don't get the gift? You're disappointed, right? That's not Christian joy. No, no, no. Christian joy is something that is rooted and that is anchored in something that cannot change. Are you with me? It's something that we know to be true. I had this moment, this was maybe six years ago. I was playing, I don't ever play video games, but there was this video game that all my friends had growing up. It was called Return of the King, like Lord of the Rings. I don't know if any of you kids, none of you would play, Squires, you know, you know. Like this game was on like PS2, I think like X, yeah, no, none of you know what a PS2 is, okay? Like, and, and like, it was, it was like the like story of the Lord of the Rings. And six years ago, I had Mateo stay. He was like in junior high or like fresh into high school at the time. He was staying at me and Mariah's house. And we were here, he was there for four days while his parents were away on some vacation. I don't know where they were. P Pastor Victor was at college. He didn't matter anymore. So Teo comes over to, to, to hang out. And, he, and we started talking about video games. And I brought up this video game. And he goes, Pastor Tim. He had to call me Pastor Tim back then. It's funny. He was like, he was like I have that video game at home. Like, no, you don't. He's like, yeah, I do. We got up, we drove all the way to Monument, we picked up that game, we brought it back to my house. And for the next four nights, we played this game until like three in the morning. My wife was so angry because the TV was in our bedroom. So you can see what an awesome husband I am. I have my wife trying to sleep while I have a freshman in high school sitting on our bed till three in the morning trying to beat this video game, okay? And we are at, we, him and I blow through the entire game in the first two days, okay? And then over the course of the next three days, they have this, this final level called the Palantir of Sauron, okay? Like it's like, it's like, like the apex of this video game. And over and over and over again, we try to beat this level and we cannot do it, cannot do it. Five days, okay, of staying up till 3 a.m. It's the last day that he's at our house. I look at Teo, it's like eight o'clock at night. I'm like, we are going to beat this game. And he looks at me and he's like, it's not my marriage, it's your marriage. <laughs> and so we sit down, eight o'clock. Nine o'clock passes, 10 o'clock passes, 11 o'clock passes, midnight passes, one in the morning passes. At this point, Mariah stops trying to sleep and she just gets up and she's watching the game with us, okay? <laughs> she's watching the game with us and she's as, as invested as we are. We just passed 2 a.m., just passed 2 a.m. and we finally, after five days, beat this video game. And, uh, <laughs> I love this youth group, okay? I, I, I so wish I could show you the video that we had. We have, we have, so we literally finished the game and all of a sudden, like, we win. Me and Mateo throw the controllers. It's 2.30 in the morning at our house. We get up. We're running around the house going, yes, 
Yes, yes, yes. There's literally a video of, of Tail walking around filming and he looks at Mariah on the bed and Mariah's like, ah! Like in excitement with us. And it was, I, I literally, I tracked down the video today to show you. But Pastor Mateo says an inappropriate word at the end of the video, so I couldn't show it, okay? So, I'm t- yeah, go ask him. He has the video on his phone, okay? So I'm like, I'm like sitting there, but here's, here's, here's what's awesome. Shh, bear with me. I promise you, your pastors don't cuss. All the time, okay? Okay. <laughs> I lost myself here. Okay, here's the point that I'm trying to make. Thank you, Victor. There's this moment in the video where at the very end, he looks at the screen and you see Gandalf on the screen and Gandalf is collecting all of his like points for winning the level. And I was Gandalf, by the way. And, and it, it's, it's like, you won. Hear me. I can't believe I'm using this as an illustration. Christian joy is like that. Okay. It's not... Christian joy is not rooted in something that might happen. It's in something that has been done. Are you with me? Something that has been done. This is the difference between good news and good advice. Good advice tells you what you should do. Good news tells you what has been done. Are you with me? This is what Christian joy is. It's not something that's like, maybe things will get made new. Maybe God's going to restore that. Maybe the world's going to get put back together. No, no, no. It's something that has been completed and finished in the person of Jesus Christ. And this is what we get the privilege of as the people of God, as we get to say, it is finished. Are you with me? Are you with me? Christian joy is not something that is fragile or flimsy. It's not something that might happen. It's not something that could happen. It's something that has been done, completed, finished, restored in the person of Jesus. Are you with me? Christian joy is not fragile or delicate. And finally, Christian joy is not primarily concerned with the self. I got a drink. Ah, There we go. Not primarily concerned with the self. This one's big. Because the way that we commonly look at joy or happiness is something that makes much of us, right? Like it's a big deal. Something brings us joy when somebody makes a big deal of who we are, of what we've done. Where all of a sudden like you get recognized for your accolades and, and your hard work. And hear me, there's nothing wrong with that. Just, a, just last week I was, I was sitting with, I was sitting over there in that room in the student chapel for Mr. Zachary Andre. He completed his Eagle Scout, which is like a huge accomplishment. <laughs> And I'm like sitting there, I've never like, I've never known anything about like what this looks like. And they, he's got all these people getting up and talking about all the things that he accomplished. And if you look out here actually, right over here on this side of the New Life Church campus, as part of becoming an Eagle Scout, you have to complete a project that, that is for the betterment of your community. And so he connected with New Life Church and he said, hey, you have a memorial out here for these two girls who were shot on your campus that I actually want to make look so much better. And he took a couple days and he brought and he rallied some people, some here in this youth group, and he remodeled that entire thing and he made it look beautiful. He made it look amazing. And as all these people were talking about like the hard work that this guy had done, I'm like, yeah, 
Yeah, like this is worthy of acknowledging like the accomplishments of this guy. And those are things we're celebrating. I'm not trying to dog on those things. But what I'm talking about Christian joy is I'm saying that, hey, that can be taken away in a moment for Zachary Andre. It's fragile, it's delicate. But Christian joy is not here to make much of Zachary Andre. It's not here to make much of Tim Shepard. It's not here to make much of Victor Mendoza. It's not here to make much of any single person in this room. Christian joy is here to make much of the one who created us. And this is where, like, the Bible starts getting a little confusing for people. Because if you really begin to start reading the Bible, you start to realize that God, like, does a lot of things for his own glory and for his own name's sake. And if you and I were to do things like that, where it's like, hey, everything we do, we do for ourselves, we'd be called selfish people. And as you begin to read the scriptures, like we begin to wrestle with it. And if you're like, kind of, what is he talking about? Let me show you. Like, like God, God created, listen to me. He created you and me for his own glory. Let me show you here, Isaiah. Isaiah 43, six and seven. The prophet says, bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for what? For what? My glory. For my glory, whom I formed and made. He's saying, look, everything that you see on this good earth, the mountains right out there to the west, when you watch that sun rise in the east and settle in the west, when you go to the east coast or to the west coast or you go south and you see the beautiful ocean, when you look to your left or your right and you see the human beings sitting next to you, who are all uniquely made. He goes, look, all of that was made for the glory of God. He created us for him, for his own glory. Not only that, he saved us for his own glory, right? So Luke chapter two, we just read this together. Where we have the angels show up to the shepherd and he says, look, I bring you like great news of great joy that on this day in the city of David is born to you a savior. Like, like don't you know, like a savior has come for you. And then all of a sudden the heavenly hosts show up and you know what the first thing the text says is that they say, put verse 14 up. Glory to God in the highest. In other words, we have the angel meet with these shepherds and the first thing they say is God's a big deal. Like, I want you to think of everything in your life that you would define as magnificent. It's such a cool word, right? It's probably not a whole lot of things. All of the things that you would, that you would identify in your life as magnificent, what the angels are saying here is, hey, there's something higher than that. There is a utmost magnificence that is summed up in the person of Jesus. It's not you. It's not about you. It's about him. Glory to not Tim in the highest. Glory to not humanity in the highest. Glory to not high schoolers in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. He created us for his glory. He saved us for his glory. He even prays for us for his glory. Look here in John chapter 17, verse 24. Jesus is praying for his followers and he says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see what? My glory. That you have given me because you love me before the foundation of 
the world. So this is what, this is what the gospel is saying, that your joy, Christian joy, cannot be concerned with the glory of the self. Christian joy exclusively has to be concerned with the glory of God. Are you with me? So ultimate joy, there's plenty of other kinds of joy, but ultimate joy is not about bringing glory to oneself, but bringing glory to God. There's more that I wanna say on that, but we don't have time tonight. So what does this mean? What does this mean? So, so if we go back to that, can we go back to the first definition that I put up of joy? Joy is a delight that runs deeper than pain or pleasure. Then the question that we have to ask, if Christian joy is not an act of willpower, if Christian joy is not something that is fragile or delicate, if Christian joy is not something that be, can, can be concerned with the self, then what is the thing that we have to delight in that runs deeper than pain or pleasure? Jesus helps us out with a parable here. This is where we're gonna conclude this evening. Matthew 13, 44. This, I think, is one of my favorite parables in all the Bible. Jesus is talking to his followers and he says this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then what? In his joy. He goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. Let me read that one more time. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that is hidden in a field, which a man found. And when he found it, he covered it up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells everything, all that he has, and he buys that field. Let's leave this verse up here. Let me give you a couple clarifications for what this text is saying. This is in the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew is primarily written to a Jewish audience. A Jewish audience holds an extreme reverence for the name of God. So when Matthew says kingdom of heaven, this could be synonymous with saying the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. Now we can take that all the more and use it synonymously to say that the, the kingdom of God is something that is found in the kingdom of God, which is Redemption, reconciliation, restoration, or in other words, relationship with God. You with me? You tracking with me? The Greek word for kingdom there is basileia. It's not an idea of some geographical kingdom. No, no, no. It's the idea of that wherever God's kingdom is ruling and reigning on earth. So he's saying, look, Wherever God is ruling and reigning, wherever God is restoring, redeeming, reconciling, giving relationship, that, that's like a treasure hidden in a field. So let me sum it up. This man goes and he finds relationship with God hidden in a field. And so he covers it up. He goes and he sells all that he has, three words that you cannot miss in this parable, in 
his what? In his joy. In his joy. Relationship with God is like, look at the word Matthew uses, treasure. Remember when you were a kid and you're going on a treasure hunt, X marks the spot, right? Like when you heard, you heard that language as a kid, treasure, something of great value, something that's gonna change your life for the better, treasure. Relationship with God is something of great value that a man found, God showed him. And what was the logical response when this man found relationship with God. You know what the logical response was? Think of it like this. Does anybody feel a burden if they have a $1 bill and somebody comes and trades it for a $100 bill? Think about that. You're holding a $1 bill and I walk up to you and I say, hey, let's trade. You take the $100 bill, I'll take the one. You find something of greater value, yeah? Would, 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 would anybody be burdened or upset if they're driving like this, this 1998 Kia Rio? I chose Kia Rio because I think that car's ugly. And I were to walk up to you and say, hey, let's trade. I give you a Ferrari. Would anybody find that a burden? No, 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 track with me here. What the text is saying is he's saying, look, this man found something. This man found something that was of greater value than everything that he had combined. It was of greater value than everything that he had combined. And so when he found something that was better than what he had, he did not see loss. He only saw something to gain. Are you with me? This is what joy does. God's not going, hey, let me twist your arm and, and make you think that what you're doing with me is better. No, it's not you think it is better. It is better. Joy, ultimate Christian joy is that we have found something or a better way to say it might be that we have been shown something. Pay attention. That is better than everything that you have in your life combined. Every relationship that you have, family, with friends, with teammates, with coaches, all of the money that you have, all of the gifts that you enjoy, food, like, like all of the things that like we get, the air that we breathe, the water that we drink, like the bread that we partake in, like the car that you drive, the city that you live in, the house that you live in, like all that you have. The Christian message is like, hey, there's something that's better than all that combined. And you know what's cool about it? Is that thing that's better than all that you have combined, it's not fragile or delicate. It's a chief cornerstone. 
It's a firm foundation. That thing that you will find that's better than everything that you have combined, that thing made a choice in his will. Not in your will, in his will. Before the foundation of the world, he predestined you, me, as sons. He made a choice in his will to love you and me. Knowing, catch this. This is where the gospel gets so cool. Knowing that you would reject him, he made that choice. Knowing that you and me would run to anything else in our life to delight in, he chose us. Knowing that we would belittle his name, that we would ignore his love, that we would treat it with carelessness, that we'd walk in rebellion and sin and not care, he said, I'm gonna make a choice to love you anyway. This thing that this man found, gives the utmost glory to God. And it's God. You see, friends, this is what Christmas is about. This, oh, if, if, oh, I cannot wait. I hope in heaven, like, we can have moments where we can go back in scripture and be a part of moments where, like, I, if I was sitting there as, like, shepherd in the field, looking at my dumb sheep who smell bad, like, all of that sorts of stuff, and all of a sudden, poof, bright light shining, like, bright light shining, and an angel comes, and he says, do not be afraid. Oh, don't be afraid. I'm about to tell you something that's going to change the course of the world. Do not be afraid. I've brought you good news. I've brought you the best of news. I've brought you news that's gonna change your life. I've brought you news that's gonna satisfy your soul. I've brought you news that's gonna take care of every ache and every pain that your body, your soul, your mind is feeling. And it's joyful news. This is what Christmas is about. It's believers realizing that joy has come. A delight has come that runs deeper than pain and suffering. A delight has come that lasts for eternity and is not temporary, like all of the pleasures that we would enjoy right now. And you know what that delight's name is? His name is Jesus. I mean, think about it. That's why Paul says in Philippians 3, like can we put this on, Philippians 3, so it's the last verse that I think that's of all my slides. There it is, there it is. But whatever gain I had, I counted as what? Loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth. This is just another way of saying that parable in Matthew 13. Paul's going, I found something. And it's so much better than everything that I have combined. And you know what it has done? It has filled my joy. Think about Paul. I mean, I mean, he's 
He's literally stoned and left for dead, drug outside of a city. He gets back up, walks back in the city, starts preaching the gospel. This guy was shipwrecked. He's like bitten by a snake. He's, he's, he's beaten and thrown into prison. I mean, if there's any guy who like knows what suffering for the name of Christ is outside of Christ himself, it's the apostle Paul. And he goes, oh man, let me tell you. I'd be bitten by a thousand snakes. I'd get, I'd get beaten a thousand times. I would, I would get stoned to death a thousand times if it meant I gain Christ. I gain a delight that will run deeper than any pain and any pleasure that this world has to offer. Will you stand with me, friends? Drew, can you bring down the lights for me, my friend? Yeah, thank you. You bow your head with me. And I want you to think about the fact and the truth that God is very concerned with your joy here this evening. Your joy is a matter of great urgency to him. And let me tell you how urgent of a matter it is to him. Your joy is so important to him. It matters so much to him that for you to have it, he would send his one and only son. Send his one and only son to come to live and to die on your behalf, on my behalf. Why? So this Jesus says, so that his joy may be in us and that our joy may be full. You see, brothers and sisters, what Jesus does and what Christmas is so beautiful is this is the story of God coming to anchor you to something and to satisfy you with something that is better than everything else in your life combined. And so as we close tonight, I wanna invite you to do one simple thing. I wanna invite you to receive that, to receive Christ as your ultimate joy. As your ultimate joy. And I promise you, God's not here to twist your arm. He's not here to, to try to get you to see, like, hey, he's not that fun, but you should like him anyway. No, no, no. He wants to show you a treasure hidden in a field. That when you find it and when you see it, this is what marks a believer, by the way, is they come to delight in God so much more than they delight in God's gifts. So can you bow your heads and can you open your hands? As we enter back into worship here, I just want us to realize, to see that Christ has come. 
and that we, his people, are here with open hands ready to receive him, to be satisfied by him, to be overwhelmed by him, to love him because he first loved us. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We thank you that we can't force ourselves into joy, but as Galatians 5 says, it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's something that you have to produce. So Jesus, I'm asking, I'm asking that you would give joy this evening, that you would restore joy this evening, that you would awaken joy this evening and I pray that it would cause us oh to make much of you Jesus Emmanuel the one in whom our soul delights would you help us receive it would you help us receive it brothers and sisters let's respond in worship